Do you remember the last time that you were at a posh dinner party? Or maybe sharing in, in a meal in a public space? It can be a, a nerve-wracking experience and you can feel often as though all eyes are on you. If you're anything like me, one of your first concerns is the cutlery. Um, which piece of cutlery to use for which course? I think there are basic guidelines to that, something like you start on the outside and work your way in, and that tends to work. So um, you're careful as well if you're in, in a particular type of company of what you say, because you don't want to say anything that will offend anybody, or you don't want to say anything that will demonstrate to the others how stupid you really are. Um, so you have to be very careful when you're in polite company or at a dinner party. I can remember well one evening in June of 2003 when Claire and I were invited to have a meal together up at Church House. It was on the evening of the moderator's rally of the General Assembly and a few of the, the young, I was going to say probationer ministers, I don't know what the right word is, but some of us who were just about to be promoted as it were, I don't know, moved on in our journey towards becoming ministers. We were invited along to that. And Claire and I, to my horror, ended up, it was tables of eight. So Claire and I ended up at a table with a previous moderator and his wife, with the moderator about to be installed and his wife, and the professor who had come to address the assembly on that particular evening. That was the table we landed with. And I, I remember looking and thinking, this is going to be the worst hour and a half of my life. This is going to be awful. It was actually great. Um, after a few moments, we all relaxed and enjoyed each other's company very much. It can be quite daunting to arrive at a posh dinner party. The parable that we have just read is one that Jesus told at a posh dinner party. Please open your Bibles at Luke chapter 14, because as well as the passage we've just read, I want to look very quickly at a few things that happened before Jesus tells that story. Luke describes the scene in verse 1 of chapter 14. One Sabbath day, when Jesus went to eat in the house of prominent Pharisees, he was being carefully watched. It's like I said, when you go out to dinner, you have this feeling of being watched. Jesus was being watched. I wonder what kind of a dinner guest Jesus is going to turn out to be. Well, the conversation around the table is pretty intense, and there's a lot of controversy, but Jesus, it seems, ends up being right in the middle of it. As I said already, if I was going to a dinner party, I'd be treading carefully. I'd be trying not to say the wrong thing, not to offend. But Jesus, it's really interesting what goes on here. He doesn't play that game at all. When we read the opening verses of, of this Luke chapter 14, we find that Jesus is telling the truth. He is hitting the nail on the head time and time again, and he doesn't seem to mind if he upsets people and causes a wee bit of offense. Jesus is about telling the truth. He tells three truths before we come to the story, and we're just going to quickly skim over these. The first one, he tells the truth about the Sabbath day. Look at verse 2. We read there that Jesus healed a sick man even though it was a Sabbath day. So that was quite controversial. 
because you weren't really supposed to do anything very much on a Sabbath. And then Jesus turned to the guys around the table and he said, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? None of them could answer, Luke tells us. I think he means none of them are willing to answer. None of them were willing to stick their neck out and answer a controversial question like that at a posh dinner party. What well, Jesus says, of course it's okay. He says, if, if one of your animals fell into a well, you'd push it out in a, pull it out in a flash, even on the Sabbath. Well, how much more is it okay to pull this, this man out of a ditch, this ditch that he's found himself in? Jesus is already, and this is going to get worse, he's starting to up the ante here. He's starting to say things that are quite controversial in the company that he's in. He speaks the truth, no matter what the consequences. The next thing then that Jesus turns to is he, he speaks to the guests themselves, and he challenges them about their social climbing. Look at verse 7. In verse 7, we realize Jesus must have been one of the first to arrive at this dinner party because he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table. When they arrived at the Pharisee's house, they all wanted the best seat. I don't know what the best seat was, whether it was one close to Jesus or whether it was one close to the, the Pharisee who was hosting, but they all wanted the best seat. But then Jesus turns to them and he says, when you're a guest, don't sit in the best seat. You might be moved down a peg or two if a more important person comes. You're better to sit in the lowest place. Maybe then the host will promote you. For everyone who promotes himself will be relegated, and he who relegates himself will be promoted. Jesus says, do you know the way you all scurried in here to try and get the best seat? Don't do that. A bit of humility. It'll go a long way. But then Jesus, in the third of these, these sort of difficult moments around the dinner table, this one is much worse again by far. He turns to the host at the head of the table and he shares a few home truths with him. He says, listen, this has been a great evening. I've really enjoyed meeting with the others here and spending a bit of time together. It was a great meal. But as I look around and notice you've invited all your friends, all the wealthy people, all the people of influence. See, next time you're hosting a dinner party, don't invite any of them. Go and find the homeless. Go and find the drug addict. Go and find the AIDS infected. Go and invite those people whom you know will never be able to return the favor, who'll never invite you back because they have nothing good to give you in return. And he says an interesting thing. He says if you offer that type of hospitality, you'll not get any reward because these people can't give you any reward. But your Father in heaven, God himself, will ensure that you get a reward. Ouch! Can you imagine 
going to somebody's home where they've invited you with all the, the best of the neighborhood and saying something like that? Jesus speaks the truth. And he seems to always be willing to speak the truth, no matter what the company and, and no matter what the consequences. By this time, all the guests were, were getting very awkward. People were shuffling in their seats. Uh, most people had, had turned crimson with embarrassment for the host. So one man thought, well, I better do something here. I better change the topic. So he, he says, well, I could, I could take this off on a spiritual tangent. And there, there he bursts in. Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of heaven. Verse 15, the opening verse of our passage. He's saying, you know, this is a great party, but won't it be great to be at the party in heaven? And I think what the, the man is hoping for is that Jesus will jump in and agree with him. This Pharisee was half expecting that Jesus would jump in and shout, Amen, brother. Praise the Lord. It'll be great when we're all there together in heaven. If that's what he was hoping for, I'm afraid he got it badly wrong because Jesus didn't jump in and agree with the man. He didn't reassure him, yes, you'll definitely be at the kingdom, the, the feast in the kingdom of heaven. Instead, that's where this parable kicks in. Jesus told this parable because he wanted at this dinner table to continue telling the truth. Only now he's going to tell the truth about the kingdom of God and who is going to be at the feast in heaven. So he tells a story on the theme of dinner parties. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Jesus tells this story in a way that it's very obvious to all of those who's listening, who are listening. It's a story about heaven, the invitation into the kingdom of God. And I better explain to you quickly how invitations worked in those days. Whenever a host decided to throw a party, they'd choose a day five or six days in advance. And they'd, they'd let everybody know about this, and everybody would RSVP, so the host would know who was coming. Then, at the moment when the feast was actually ready, he'd send a servant out, and the servant would go and say, come, everything's now ready, come to the, the party. As the story unfolds then, we realize that the people on the guest list snub the host. Did you notice how rude, how, how rude their excuses are in verses 18 to 20? These people, I've just explained to you, they've all said that they're going to come. Every one of them has said that before the servant is sent out to them. The host has prepared a place for them. He has a wonderful table with a, a wonderful meal, the best food and wine, and they can't even be bothered to turn up. The excuses there are pretty feeble. They don't really even make sense. If, if the guy's already bought the field, why does he need to go and inspect it just now? That's, it doesn't make sense. The same goes for the oxen. Could we not wait until tomorrow to test the oxen? 
And since when does being married rule you out of going to a dinner party? Pretty lame excuses that these folks use. They're obviously excuses that are made up in the spur of the moment. They're excuses that are nothing but a slap in the face to the host. They're excuses that basically say this. Thanks for the invitation, but there are a million things I would rather do than spend any time with you. I'd rather sit at home and watch paint dry than to turn up to your party. Whenever the host hears about the response of these, these guests, all of whom had promised that they would come, he's angry. And I think you can, you can probably appreciate that and understand a little bit of that. If you had gone to those sort of lengths and if people had made these, these commitments to you, of course you'd feel angry. Well, folks, remember what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about God's great invitation to each one of us to take our place in the kingdom of God. Friends, it seems to me that God, who has done so much for us, who's given the life of his own son that you might and I might come to that banquet, he too has every right to be angry when we snub him, when we slap him in the face and say, no thanks, I won't be coming to your party. What does, the, what does the host do? All these folks have said they're not going to come. What does he do with his party? Well, he goes on. He takes that first guest list, he throws it out, and he writes a brand new one. He says to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And that's what the servant does. And then he returns and he says, but master, there's still more room. And the master says, well, then go out further. Take my invitation as far as you need to. Keep on inviting until the party is full. There's going to be a party. If some people choose not to come, so be it. But there will be a party for those who respond. Friends, do you see what's going on here? in this story that Jesus tells. There's a massive reversal, basically. Those who had been invited to the party don't end up at it because they refuse the invitation. Those who hadn't been invited because they're the type of people who never, ever get invited to anybody's house, never mind a dinner party, end up eating the richest of food and the best of wine at a beautiful table set for them. Now, it's important at this point that we think about what Jesus is saying. Remember who Jesus is telling this story to. He's telling it to a bunch of smug Pharisees sitting around the table having dinner together. They're the religious Jews. They're the Bible-believing people, the ones who are entirely sure sure of themselves, sure that they're on their way to heaven. 
And as he's done three times already at this dinner party, Jesus steps in and he speaks the truth. He tells us, some people who think they're going to be at the party won't be there. And some of the most unlikely people will end up at the party. Jesus rounds off his story with a judgment that sends shivers up our spines. Not one of those invited will get a taste of my banquet. Instead, it's the nobodies who end up being welcome in the kingdom of God. What what does this parable mean for us here this morning? Well, it seems to me that it depends on where we're coming from. Some of us, and I certainly would include myself in this, we're actually more in the, the Pharisee We're sitting in the seats of the Pharisees around that table. Let me explain why I think that's the case. These Pharisees, these are the religious people, the ones with a a churchy background. Maybe you're like me. You're somebody who grew up in Sunday school and you've been around church and Jesus as long as you can remember. As a result, it's very easy for us to make assumptions to assume that we are the kind of people who will end up at the party in the kingdom of heaven. But this parable tells us something different. This parable tells us that no, you don't end up at the party because of who you are. You end up at the party for one reason and one reason only. You have accepted the invitation. Something that Jesus doesn't make clear, but I'm sure the logic of his parable bears this out. If one of those initially invited guests had said, yes, I still want to come to the party, of course they'd have been welcome. Nothing in your life rules you out from taking your place in the kingdom of God. But you must respond to the invitation of Jesus Christ. But this parable deals with another type of person altogether. It's a parable that Jesus told to challenge the religiously smug. But this parable also ends up being brilliant news for those people who never dreamt that they would have an invitation to the kingdom of God. To the poor and the blind and the lame of Jesus' story, those who live in the highways and byways, those without wealth or education, or influence. Those, says Jesus, will all be invited. They'll all be welcome at the party in the kingdom of God. Look at what Jesus says to his servant in verse 23. He says, make them come in so that my house will be full. Jesus says, make them, do what you have, drag them. Bring people into my party in the kingdom of God. Friends, that's that's partly my job as a preacher, is to invite you in terms that you can't fail to understand, that you are welcome. This invitation to share life with God is for you. Some of you are still sitting there this morning and you think, I'm talking to the person beside you or the person in front of you or behind you. 
or the person who's been at this church for longer than you or, or less time than you. The invitation is for you. Everything that God offers, He offers to you. As I said a moment ago, and I'll leave it with this. In this parable, there are all different kinds of people. But they all have one thing in common. The invitation to come and take their place in the kingdom of God. Friends, we all share that in common this morning. Some of us have already responded and others have not yet. Come, God says this morning, for everything is now ready. Let us pray.